Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. series today called Monumental. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say Monumental. Monumental. Now, that word actually comes from another word called Monument. Ta-da! Mind blown, right? Monument. The definition of monument is a statue, building, or structure erected to commemorate a famous or notable person or event. So these statues, these structures are built to, to remember things. And I've got a few monuments I want to just show you today, especially from our American history. We've got a lot of incredible monuments in our nation. Uh, how about this first one, the Washington Monument? Anybody been to the Washington Monument? It's pretty, pretty incredible, pretty impressive. Uh, the next one, how about the Lincoln Memorial? I don't know about you, but I've always wanted to go there and sit in his lap. I don't know, I don't know why, but I just, I just feel like that would be something cool. Uh, now, the next one is uh, the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, Missouri. Believe it or not, I lived in Missouri most of my entire life, and I have never been to the arch. I have driven by it probably a thousand times, but I've never been up to the top. But interesting story, uh, and you learn this when you're local, is that when they were building the arch, when they built each side separately, and when they got to the top, it didn't match. So they had to bend the steel to get it to match up at the top. And you can risk your life by going up to the top and, and, and looking out uh, with all the rest of the crazy, insane people in this country if you would like to. But that might be one of the reasons why I've never been to the top. Uh, we also have this one. How about Mount Rushmore? I think this is pretty awesome. Carving faces of, or Statue of Liberty. That one's pretty cool, too. That kind of important. But do we have Mount Rushmore up there? Do we got Rushmore? No? Well, I'll just tell you about it. Mount Rushmore is where they carved faces out of the side of a mountain. I don't know how they are able to even do that, but that's pretty incredible. So each of these buildings, these, these statues, structures, places, they've been built to commemorate things in our nation's history, to remember significant events in the past of our nations. And other nations, other civilizations also have they're monuments. I had the privilege of going to a couple of these, um, like in France, the Eiffel Tower. We've got the Eiffel Tower. There we go. Anybody been to the Eiffel Tower? Yes, I've been able to go up to the top of the Eiffel Tower and, and look out across the, the city of Paris. What a beautiful sight. Also in France, they have the Arc de Triomphe, right? This symbolized Napoleon and the, ma the majesty of his kingdom that he built in France. We could go down to uh, the Africa and to Egypt and look at the Great Pyramids. Would love to see the Great Pyramids someday. And then also the Sphinx. And then uh, if we take a trip over into Asia, we could see one of the seven wonders of the world is the Great Wall of China. These incredible structures, these feats of, of humankind, the ability for mankind to do these things. And, and even if you're a nerd like me, I like to watch the History Channel for fun, actually. Not, not for school or anything. I like to watch it for fun. I like to look at all the ancient archaeological uh, shows. They go back and look at some of the megalithic structures of times past. I don't think evolution is true for this single point. 
I think they were smarter in how they built stuff back then than we are today. If you look at some of the things they did with primitive tools, there's a reason why people think aliens visited once in our ancient past. The intelligence, the wisdom that they were able to build these ancient structures is mind-blowing. And, and so I, I, I think that there's something uh, to be said about the cultures of the past. But each of these monuments we could look at throughout the known world, each of them have stories attached to them. They have a story they represent, a story of significance to that nation or to the people that put them together. Monuments point to something important. And so in our language, what we like to do is we like to take uh, words and we like to modify them to help describe things in our, in our language. And we pull from other terms to kind of bring to light what we're trying to convey. And so the word monumental is one of those where we look at the monuments and what they represent. And we use this now as an adjective to describe something of importance, something of significance. So monumental means something of importance or something of significance. Now the Christian faith, beloved, is a monumental faith. The Christian faith is a monumental faith. It stands above all the religions of the world because inasmuch without even firing a shot... The simple message of the gospel, the powerful testimonies of changed lives have spread like wildfire across the whole world, transforming not just lives, but even nations. So what began as a small Jewish sect that was attempted to be snuffed out by the religious leaders of the day 2,000 years ago, just within a couple hundred years, won over the dominant empire of the world, the Roman Empire, which opened the doors to the rest of the known world in that time. So it opened the doors. The gospel went out even through persecution and suffering and every campaign that the enemies of God could throw against it. The gospel continued to move forward, transforming once pagan nations into nations with faith in Jesus Christ. And as a testimony of the impact of the Christian faith, monuments have been erected, not just in one little geographical area, but all over the world, much like this one of Jesus Christ. Now, this one is called Christ the Protector. And in a Newsweek magazine, this was completed in the municipality of Encantado, Brazil, in the southernmost part of the Rio Grande de, de do so on, on April 22nd of last year. With its pedestal, the new statue stands 43 meters or 141 feet high, five meters taller than the Rio de Janeiro monument, which is similar to this one. So it's incredible. This is a massive structure. Monuments like this of Christ, they honor him and they honor the impact of what he's done. But there are monuments just like this all over the globe. There were two in the United States. There was one in Spain, one in Portugal, one in Italy, one in the Philippines, Syria, Nigeria, Mexico, Romania, Colombia, Peru, Bolivia, Poland, Nicaragua, Indonesia, Honduras, South Korea. Literally, these monuments appear across the face of the globe. And even though it does, there's not one in all the four corners, there are churches and there are believers in all four corners of the earth, which means that the extent of the gospel, the impact of the church of Christ, covers the entire planet throughout the known world. The impact of Jesus stands strong. 
Christianity is a monumental faith. And not just with religion, with building statues and shrines, but also the impact in the societies of the world. We, we think of societies and cultures much, much like uh, Western culture. We think of like third world countries or, or, or major uh, industrialized nations. But the impact of Western culture, we could by and large say, has had the greatest impact of any culture in history. And Western culture, by and large, has been funneled, fueled, and driven by the faith of Jesus Christ. According to uh, tomorrowsworld.org, they write this, Still the impact of the Christian religion continues to be visible in Western civilization. Historians of professing Christianity have noted that by the Middle Ages, Christianity had shaped Western culture, and it would continue to influence culture wherever it spread. The revolutions uh, in the, has different sightings here. Um, the charity that was encouraged by biblical teachings eventually blossomed into hospitals, orphanages, homes for the elderly, care for the poor, and the hungry, and the homeless. Even many of the greatest and most prominent universities of our day were originally founded on Christian purposes. And while critics claim that Christian religion impeded the growth of science, history says otherwise. Dr. Rodney Stark, a professor of sociology and comparative religion, states that leading scientific figures in the 16th and 17th centuries overwhelmingly were devout Christians who believed it was their duty to comprehend God's handiwork. So unlike the godless religions of Asia and the capricious gods of other faiths, the God of the Bible was a rational being whose created creation operated on laws that were discoverable and could be applied to solving problems for the benefit of mankind. An understanding of this is essential for the rise of science. So the Christian faith has had not only an impact on religions worldwide, but on the culture at large, in the dominant culture at large. So not only have monuments been built in honor of Jesus and our faith, but it's made a monumental impact all over the world. This is something that God has been doing all along. This is something God has been doing since he called the first followers, since he called out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And last week we were looking at Joshua in the battle of Jericho. And we were, we were talking about that great victory, and I want to talk about what Joshua actually had to go through prior to that great battle to show you that God has always been up to monumental things. He's always been up to significant things. So before Joshua led the Israelites into Jericho and they won that great battle, they had to face another obstacle, and they had to cross the Jordan River. So until they could get into the promised land, they had to Go across the river. We're just going to read, beginning of Joshua chapter 3 and verse 7, we're going to read the account of how the Israelites crossed the Jordan on their way to victory in the promised land. Beginning in verse 7, here's what the word of the Lord records. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, and so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. 
Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. The waters coming down from above, above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. So you have to have in your mind, they're not just walking up to a little pond or a little stream. This is a massive overflowing river. If you've been to the Mississippi River or any major body of water, any major river, this is what we're talking about. It's a massive river, and now it's an overflow season. So you can understand it might have been a little trepidatious to take a little step into the Jordan, right? We tend to run and scream like little children, like in events like that. But no, God was saying, go forth. Verse 16, it says, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam in the, in the city that was beside Zarethan and those flowing down the, toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground. And in the midst of the Jordan, all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the whole nation finished passing over the Jordan. In chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said, Pass on before the ark of the Lord. Go into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. And when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that we're a part of something that we can't even wrap our minds around. We're a part of a monumental move. We're a part of your plan of salvation. We're a part of your plan of redemption. God, we're a part of the way that you've designed to rescue the world. And I just pray, God, right now, our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, that our hearts would be prepared, that our minds would understand, God, that this time, this place that you've called us and you have appointed us for, it's not an insignificant moment, but this is a time of great significance. And I pray, God, that the, the excitement of what we're involved in would just flow into our hearts today, God, that you would build us up, strengthen us, give us an incredible expectation of what you're about to do, God, what you're doing in the world and what we get to be a part of. But today, God, we ask that your spirit would speak, God, that you would bring your word alive, that you would encourage us in your word, that we leave here a little differently than the way we walked in. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that before they leave this place, they would have an encounter with your spirit, that they would respond to your word, and they'd become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God, we thank you for what you prepared for us today. And all God's people said, amen. 
So this story, like when, when you read the Old Testament and you read accounts like this, it's easy just to skim over the details and not really comprehend what was going on. So think about, again, what God just did. He said, I want you to cross this overrun, massive river. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the priests. I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant. This is the golden box that, that contained the presence of the Lord. That had the Ten Commandments in it. It represented God's throne. I want you to take this box, put it on the shoulders of the priests. I want them to walk out into the water. And when their feet hit the water, then I'm going to stop the water. I'm going to stop the flow. And not just the water just stop so that, that, that it dries out for them, completely dries out, so they can walk on dry ground. But it says the water will then build itself up on a heap. So if you can imagine the water damming itself, and instead of flowing, it just goes straight up into the air. This is what happens in this moment. Like, that would freak me out. I don't know about you, but you're like... That ain't supposed to do that. That's, a, it's like, that's how I would think. It's like something out of the Matrix or something. You know, I'm just like, what is going on here? But this is what God does. So here they are. They're, they're getting ready to cross. The water has parted again, but instead of walls on water on either side, it's just walls on one side. And they're walking across. And then God says, before you get all the way across, send some men to the middle of the river, and I want you to pick up stones. Matter of fact, one for each tribe of Israel. Carry it on the shoulder. So it wasn't like little stones. We're talking boulders. I want you to carry them across, and I want you to do it for a specific purpose. I want you to set up a monument to this moment. I want you to set up a monument to this moment. Why? Because God never wanted them to forget what happened here that day. Never forget what I have done for you today, how I am making a way when there is no way. When everything looks impossible, when it looks like there's no way around, no way across, I'm coming in and I'm making a way where there is no way. You should remember what I've done for you this day. And those 12 stones stood as a sign for future generations because God didn't just have them in mind. God didn't want them just to remember whenever they walked by that location at some point in their life. Not like the Washington Monument or the Gateway Arts or any of the monuments we have where we drive by and we remember, oh, that was for, that, that was for President Lincoln. And he was president during the Civil War, and he was assassinated. And so we remember the things that he did. It wasn't just for those that saw it that day. It was for future generations. Because God wanted them to ask the question. He wanted them to ask their parents, what are those rocks laying on the ground for? What's that all about? He wanted the future generations to be brought in to the story. He wanted the younger generations to ask the question and the elders of the nation to provide the answers. God left those monuments of stones to invite everyone into the monumental moment. To invite everyone into this monumental faith. So no matter if they were there to see it or they were just learning about it for the first time, it would stand as an invitation for everyone who would believe. And I believe there's two elements that caused this monumental moment, the moment for God to 
part these waters and, and do this miraculous event that he did where the water stood on end. The first is God's power. It could not have happened without the power of God being released in a moment. There's no amount of human strength or ingenuity that could have made this thing happen. So God's power. But number two was their faith. It was the faith of God's people. So God invited them into the moment, but it was their faith that capitalized on the moment. So how many of you know that when God does miraculous things, it's usually, normally, an invitation? It's an invitation to join him in what he's doing. God makes the invitation, and it's our faith in action that takes God up on his invitation. See, miracles happened... And the monument was constructed, not just to remind them of what God did, but to remind them what they were a part of. You are in part a part of something incredible, something significant. You're a part of something that's unlike anything that could ever be experienced in all of the world. And beloved, I'm here to tell you today, God wants us to have a monumental faith. God wants us as the church of Jesus Christ, to have a monumental faith. And it's through our faith we position ourselves to be part of what God is doing. So God creates the ground for the miraculous, for powerful things, for us to become part of what he's doing. And it's our faith that activates, that positions us to join him in what he's doing. God wants us to have a monumental faith. And why? Why does God want us to have a monumental faith? Because monumental faith makes moments worth remembering. Monumental faith makes moments worth remembering. Now, I know that's good. Because I've been geeked on that statement all week long. And some of you are half dead. So what does that tell me? You weren't experiencing monumental faith this week. Because monumental faith makes moments worth remembering. God doesn't want you to experience normal religious experience. Because there's nothing memorable there. It's just routine. It's just old hat. It's I could take it or leave it. And God's not interested in that. Our God's interested in monumental faith. And what does the Word of God tell us? It tells us anything is possible for those who believe. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said anything is possible if we believe. What, you mean the water standing on end and blowing our minds with something that defies the laws of physics? Absolutely. Our God can do anything. Our God is capable of anything. Anything's possible, Jesus said, if those, for those who believe. So if we really believe the word of God and we believe that what Jesus said is true, then that should shift how we think, how we feel, and what we do with our faith. There, my wife will be the first one to tell you I'm kind of an oddball. I'm a little strange. I think a little differently. Maybe that's why I'm in ministry. I think most pastors are kind of weird. Just saying. You got to be kind of weird to dedicate your life to this thing. But here's the deal. 
I don't ever want to be in a place where I'm unwilling to believe God for impossible things. And so often I will, in my quiet time, I'll pray and I'll ask the Lord, God, let's, let's do something together. I just want to, I want to hear your voice. I want, I want to join you in what you're doing. Take me deeper. Just show, show me how to build my faith. I, there, I just want to pursue you. I want to encounter you and experience you in new and unique ways. And one day last summer I was praying and I just felt the Lord put on my heart to take a walk around the city of Clio and go on a prayer walk. And so I was thinking, okay, when, when would I have opportunity to do this? And it was the next day would be a Saturday. And it's like, okay, I'm going to, I just feel like Saturday is the day. I'm going to go on this prayer walk. And so I committed to it. It's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk around the city. And that day for about three to four hours, I walked 12 miles around the city of Clio, just praying, blessing all the houses, uh, you know, people I come across, seeing if anybody needed prayer, just praying the whole time as I was going. I had my, my earbuds in, and I had my prayer music on, and I was praying in the spirit, and I was going for it, man. I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to believe God for a revival. We're going to believe God for miracles. We're going to ask God to lead every person I pass to Jesus Christ. We're going to do this thing. And so I was, I was geeked up to get ready on this walk. Um, you know, my family thought I was probably a little nutty just going, going to do this, but I was like, I feel like God wants me to do this, so I'm going to go. So I leave the house, and I'm so excited, and within 10 minutes, it starts pouring down rain. And not just a little bit of rain, enough to make three or four people stop and ask if I needed a ride. That's how pathetic I looked. And I had to stop and say, no, I'm out here on purpose. It's a God thing. Sorry, you might not understand, but I'm, I'm doing this thing. So I'm walking, and, I'm, and instantly, as it starts to rain, I'm questioning every decision I've ever made. I'm thinking, did I even hear God? Is this even the thing? Maybe I should, when can we reschedule this, Lord? I mean, obviously, your, your plan and my plan, we're not in sync together. And, I, and as I'm going through all these excuses as why I should turn around and go back, I just... I just felt like maybe it was the Holy Spirit or maybe it was my conscience just say, you know, the enemy is going to try to stop you from everything God wants you to do. And so you're not in charge of the results. You're just in charge of the faithfulness. So stay faithful. Keep going. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and then I remember God stopped the rain for Elijah. And in James 5, it says Elijah's just a normal person like us. And when he prayed fervently, God closed the heavens, and it didn't rain for three years. And the invitation is that if we need something from God, we can call the church together, we can pray, and the, the fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So I'm thinking, man, God opened the invitation. He said, if you just believe, anything's possible if you believe. So here I am getting soaked, I'm, I'm getting drenched, and I'm thinking, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to start praying that you stop the rain. And so I'm walking down in the pouring down rain. I am praying as loud as I can. I'm declaring to the rain, in the name of Jesus, I command these clouds to stop, these heavens to shut, the rain to cease. And wouldn't you know it, within just a couple minutes, the rain stopped. It stopped. And I'm like, Woo! You know, I'm just like excited, you know. And it was, it was kind of warm out, so the rain wasn't, you know, a terrible thing. And I started to dry off, and I'm walking. I'm like, okay, we're doing this thing. And about 20 minutes later, it starts raining again. It starts pouring on me. And so I go through the process again. And within, you know, just a little bit, the rain stops. And I go through this process for 
almost the entire time. And so, you know, some might look out and say, well, you know, did God stop the rain for you? And they're like, well, maybe it was just the weather, you know, interdispersed, and maybe it was just a coincidence. But I tend to believe that there's no coincidence why the rain would stop when I started to pray. And the rain starts coming back. And so the last time it's raining on me, I'm, I'm going up Lake Road. I'm almost to Jennings, almost back to the house. And, and I'm praying. I was like, God, it would be awesome if this time the rain stops, it would just stay stopped. And that the sun would come out and I'd have time to dry, at least mostly before I got home so I wasn't soaking wet. And within just a few moments, the clouds cleared, the sun came out, and I began to dry. And I was mostly dry before I got home. It was incredible. Now, again, you could chalk that up to experience or to coincidence. You could, you could make a case that maybe that was just something that, that randomly happened. You can't really prove, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that God did that each time. But I just believe God built my faith that day. God built my faith. And, and I'm crazy enough to believe that even greater things can happen. Why? Because Jesus said so. He says, those who believe will do greater things than I've done and even greater, like more, more often. And so I'm crazy enough to believe that God is going to still heal when we pray. That God's still going to restore people, deliver people. I, I believe that one day I'm going to get to see somebody raised from the dead because God is good and he's faithful to his word. I'm crazy enough to believe it. Do I think I have enough faith for that right now? No, I don't. I think I have a long way to go, but I'm on the journey. I'm on the journey. There's nothing spiritual about me that, that is going to earn that with God. God's going to do it because he's good and he's faithful. But I'm on the journey because Jesus said it's possible, and I believe whatever Jesus said is true. Anything's possible if you believe. Why? Because when we act upon what we believe, it positions us for God to do miracles. Anything's possible. And that's the thing about belief, is we will act on what we believe. We will act upon our convictions. We don't normally act on all of our ideas. Some of our ideas are crazy. You probably have a lot of crazy ideas when you're driving and people cut you off on the highway or in the, on the road. We have a lot of crazy ideas. We don't often always act on our ideas, but we will act on our beliefs. That's why the book of Proverbs says to guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. What you believe will direct what you do. And so the more we believe God, the more we trust in his word, the more we position ourselves to see incredible things like water standing up in a heap. They saw the miracle because God said it, they believed it, they act on it, so they were able to experience God's power. The promise of God is in Hebrews eleven six. 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if you want to come to him, you must believe he exists and know that he rewards those who sincerely or diligently seek him. God rewards. God's a rewarder. You believe God's a rewarder? He is a rewarder. He's a good God. It says every good gift and perfect gift comes from God, your Father above. He's a rewarder. He rewards our faith. And so I believe that that's true. He will reward those who diligently seek him. So faith, our belief, it precedes signs and wonders. Belief precedes monumental experiences. Belief also precedes accepting God's invitation. 
When God invites you into a moment, your faith is going to come before acting upon that moment. But when we trust in Christ, we get the opportunity to become part of something monumental. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, as Paul's opening his letter to the church of Corinth, here's what Paul says. Here's what we're a part of. He says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called by God. That's another way of saying you who've been invited by God. To be called by God is to be invited by God. So you who have been called by God to what? To be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Jesus Christ. Or that could also be translated like this. Or now you belong to Jesus Christ. Just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Christ, the Lord and ours. We have been invited. We have been called to what? To belong to God. To become part of his own special people. We've been called into something monumental in this life. And the, the question has, it comes is, well, then how do you get to become part of God's people? How, how do you get to be part of the ones who Jesus has saved, the one who Jesus has delivered? How do you get to be part of this monumental faith where the Word of God says in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God? So you hear the Word of God proclaimed. You hear the Word of God. You read the Scriptures. You hear what God's Word says, and then faith begins to arise. And the second step, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by God's grace you're saved through your faith. So as you hear the word of God, that begins to stir something in you, and then you invest your heart, your faith into believing and trusting in the word that is proclaimed to you. And as you are believing, as you are trusting in God's word, you then begin to respond. In Acts 2.21, it says, then all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the process is you hear the Word of God, you begin to believe the Word of God, and then you act on the Word of God by calling out to Jesus to become your Lord and your Savior. You trust Him. And as you trust in Jesus, guess what, beloved? He joins you into this monumental faith. He joins you into this monumental people, into this spiritual family we call the church. And it doesn't just stop there. You don't get to just get a membership card and become part of the club, but something else happens. We become indwelled by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 4 says, you belong to God, my dear children, and you've already won a victory over those people because the Spirit of God who what? Who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. The moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and he makes you part of this family, this monumental faith, his spirit, his presence comes to live within you. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, it represented the throne of God. And within it, they believed, was the very presence of God. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become God's throne. You become the Ark. You become the container that carries the presence of God. And not just within you, but then his presence comes upon you. In Acts 1-9, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. God's getting ready to do something. 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power to do what? To walk in monumental faith. To walk in monumental faith. A faith that makes moments worth remembering. And how do we know? It's because of what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Those who believe will do the same works I've done and even greater. He didn't say may do. He didn't say maybe get around to. He says those who believe will do. Because the nature of the Holy Spirit is a nature of power. So if the Spirit is living in you, and the Spirit's come upon you, then you become a conduit for God's power to be released in your life. And how is it that something that you're going to do greater and more monumental than what Jesus even did? It's because through our faith, Jesus will do the impossible. Because it's who is in us and who is upon us. He's the God of the impossible. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, with man, things are impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Think about the most impossible scenario. With God, all things are possible. So if that's the case, if that's true, then the power of Ephesians 3.20 should rock us to our core, should shift in our spirit, should help us recognize that this thing, this isn't just a religious duty that we're a part of. Like Scott said in his announcements, there's a privilege to what we're a part of here. There's something supernatural. There's something significant that we're a part of. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able. Somebody say able. We have to believe that God can before we'll trust that God will. So God is able to what? Through his mighty power at work within where? Within us. So he's able through his mighty power and work within us, within you, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And within me. How is he going to release his power? He's going to release it in your life. He's going to release it through your life. He's going to release it through my life. And together as the church, through us together, God's power is going to be released in us. To do what? To accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. So when we're thinking about the most impossible situation, God's word is saying, Paul is telling the Ephesians, through the power that's in us, that God has placed in us by nature of the Holy Spirit, he's going to do far greater, far beyond what we could think. The most impossible situation, he's going to do even beyond that. And he's going to do it through you, not in spite of you. He's not going to do it around you. He's going to do it through you. Why? Because that's where his spirit is, and that's where his power flows. Do you know who you are and what you're a part of? Just like on the shoulders of the priests, you carry the presence of God. And if you carry God in you, Shouldn't you expect to experience God around you? Yeah. This makes your life incredibly significant. This makes your faith monumental. 
So God had Joshua set up the 12 stones. Why? To remind the people of what God did and what they were a part of. Now check this out. I love, I love God's word. Stuff just makes me laugh sometimes. Whether I think it's funny. I mean, there's some funny stuff in the Bible. I mean, a talking donkey, that's funny. That's funny. Guy wouldn't listen to reason, so he made the donkey talk to him. But I laugh because of just how good God is. Now, God had them set up 12 stones to remind the people. Look what 1 Peter 2.5 says. Talking to the church. He says, and you are living stones. You are living stones. You are living stones. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you're a living stone. You're a living stone. Why is that significant? Because God's building you into his spiritual temple. You're not just a stone, you're the you're also a holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God. God hasn't just made you a part of a spiritual family. He hasn't just made you belong to him through your faith in Christ. He hasn't just placed his spirit in you and upon you, but now you're a living stone. By his spirit, you've become stones that people can look to. They can look at your life, and it should evoke this question. What do those stones mean? Just as he had the 12 tribes of Israel set up stones outside the Jordan so that future generations could look back and say, what's this all about? God has made you a living stone so that an unbelieving world can look at your life and say, what's this thing all about? You're his witnesses. Now, in ancient monuments, if you know how things go, they usually have glyphs on them, writing inscriptions on them. They usually have something that kind of gives a symbol that points to maybe why that they were left in the ancient past. 2 Corinthians 3.3, if we're God's living stones, then we must have some writing, right? 2 Corinthians 3.3 says, clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It's carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Not only has God set you up as a stone of remembrance, He's put His inscription on your heart through the Holy Spirit. Pillars of stone are meant to remind us of what happened in times past. You are God's stone. You are God's letter so that when people read your life, they can proclaim God's glory. So now the church of Jesus Christ, his people, are how God's story is going to be told. You are the way God wants his story remembered. You are the way God wants his story remembered. Remember, how awesome is that? 
How amazing. The infinite God, the holy and righteous one, the one perfect, the one who is the ancient of days, the first and the last. There is no fault in him. There is no error in him. There is no sin in him. There is no darkness in him. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good. And that good God chose you to be the one through your life to tell his story. And God's story is being told all over the world. He desires us to be living monuments that tell the story. And that story is being told all over the world. And what is that story? It's encapsulated in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the great do-over. It's the great second chance. It's the great exchange as God takes our sin and gives us his righteousness because of what Jesus has done on the cross. It's the greatest story. It's the most monumental story ever told, and we get to proclaim it as we walk in monumental faith each and every day. Beloved, do you remember when you first encountered the Lord, when you first encountered his love for you, when you discovered for the first time, I am loved by Almighty God? Do you remember those moments when God came in and redeemed something terribly broken in your life? When he healed something incredibly painful? Do you remember when he rescued you and gave you a second chance? Think about that moment. And think about what in your life you could use to be a reminder of the moment God came through. Something you could set up maybe in your home or in your car, on your vanity, first thing you see in the morning. Something to remind you every day that he has chosen you and he's invited you into something incredible. Something you could set out to, at your office or your workplace to be a conversation starter. So when someone comes by and says, hey, what's that all about? You can say, well, let me tell you. I've got a story to share. So you can respond with a testimony of your monumental encounter. And I have something just like that. And believe it or not, this was not my idea. But uh, a couple years ago, we had a couple precious ladies attending our church named Renee and Sierra. They've moved away, but before they moved, they sent my wife, called my wife or sent her a text. I can't remember which, which one it was. But they asked us what our favorite verses were, what our life verses were. And at the time, I thought that was a weird question. It's like, why do you, why do you want to know, you know, what my favorite verses? Just open and pick one. You know, it's just like, they're all my favorite. But no, they're like, no, we're, we're doing something. We want to know what your favorite verse was. And, 
And before they left, they, they blessed our family with some incredible gifts, and we'll cherish them forever. But they got us some custom camp chairs, and they put our verses on them and our names. So now, wherever I go, if you can see it, you don't get my chair confused with anyone else because it's got my name on it. So literally, if I say you're in my chair, you're in my chair. But on my chair, it has a verse. It's from Isaiah 41.9. It says, you are my servant. And I've chosen you. And I've not rejected you. In one of the lowest times in my life, faced with some of the greatest mistakes I've ever made, thinking everything that I've ever known was about to change. In a moment of desperation and calling out to the Lord, asking Him for some hope, I can't remember if I just flipped to it or if He told me to turn to this passage, but I came across Isaiah 41.9, and in the New Living Translation it says, I have not thrown you away, but I've called you, and I've chosen you to be my servant. And in a moment, God shifted in my heart that I wasn't, I wasn't worthless, I wasn't no good, that I hadn't messed it all up to the point of not coming back, that it wasn't all over, that God was still in it, and that his grace was still abounding, and that he's still good, and he's still in the business of turning things around. And that if we come to him, and we lay our burdens down. We can find rest and peace and hope. You can put your life back together. No, life hasn't been perfect. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm still a work in progress. I still do things I don't want to do, and I don't do things I should do. But this one moment with this one verse, it changed my entire perspective of what was possible. And every time I get this chair out and I sit in it, I remember I'm still chosen. And that I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And no matter what mistakes I make or how I fall short, he's not giving up on me and he's not going anywhere. That he has a purpose for my life. And I can get up from this place, and I can keep going, I can keep believing, and I can keep trusting. And my question today, beloved, is what do you have to remind you of what God's done in your life? Because we forget. We forget. We get down in the dumps, we go through a difficult season, we, we go through some difficult things, and we forget the good things God has done. And we, we let our lives get to the point where we feel like everything's crumbling and we just want to give up. What do you have in your life that reminds you of what God has done? And then two, you need to remember that's who you are for people who don't know God. You're the reminder of what God has done for them. How he gave his one and only son. And that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a few moments as we go into a time of response. As Tony begins to play. Some of you here, you need encouragement. You need to remember that you're a part of something significant. Maybe you just need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In just a minute, we'll invite our prayer team to come forward. And we'll have opportunity. If, if you're struggling with that, you need, you need a second wind. We're going to be down here. We're going to pray. And we're going to believe God for the impossible. If you've got sickness, if you're battling sickness in your body, we've got the anointing oil down here. We'll anoint you. We'll pray. And we'll believe God for miracles. And I believe he's still a miracle-working God. I believe he will heal today. I believe he will follow through with what he said. But maybe you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you trusted God enough to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And according to the word of God, if you've not given God your heart and your life, you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you don't belong to him. But he's inviting you He's calling you into this monumental faith. He's calling you into this monumental family. He's got a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for you that is far greater than anything you could plan for yourself. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around just out of respect for one another, if that's you here today and you say, Pastor Joey, you know what? There's never been a time in my life where I accepted Jesus, where I prayed to him and gave him my heart, where I told him that he gets to be my Lord and Savior from now and forever. If there's never been a time in your life where you have made that decision, would you just slip your hand up and just say, Pastor Joey, pray for me? Would you pray for me? I know I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I know I need to start a relationship with God. I've never made that decision in my life, and I want to do that today. I want to make that decision. Would you just Pray for me. If you slip your hand up, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. If that's you here today, just slip your hand up. Hold it up so I can see it. Okay. Or maybe, beloved, you're here and you just need a reminder of God's goodness. You need a fresh outpour of the Holy Spirit. You need a fresh touch from God. Maybe you're battling some things and it's robbing you of your hope and it's robbing you of your, your faith that you're struggling to believe now because this thing you've been praying for just hasn't come to pass. In just a moment, when we stand and our prayer team comes forward, you come on down. And we'll believe God at his word. We're two or more gathered. He's here. And when the body of Christ comes together and pray, his power is released. And we're going to believe God for miracles today. We're going to believe God for a fresh anointing, a fresh outpour of the Spirit, a jump start to your faith. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your call. I thank you that we're a part of something significant and special. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do as we respond to your word. And again, God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as the Lord and Savior, they've not made that commitment to you, I pray, God, that they would come forward, that they wouldn't worry about what anyone else thinks or what's going around, that they would be just focused on meeting you and encountering your love for the first time. And I pray, God, that they would come and you would radically save them today. 
and we will rejoice with heaven as all the angels sing for joy in that decision. But God, I pray for those that need a fresh touch from the Spirit, those that are battling, those that are having trouble remembering and holding on to hope and expectant faith. And I pray, God, as they come forward, that even before they make it down here, you'd begin to move and breathe upon them. And I pray, God, that you would grace us with a fresh outpour of your spirit this morning. That you'd shift in us, God, that you would speak words over those that are hurting, God. That you would release your healing power in the name of Jesus. It's not by our righteousness or anything we have done, but it's by your grace and your goodness. And so, God, we trust in you again today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite us at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.cb forward slash give. Thank you.